I'm Kenneth from Chris Plug and Bolt. And uh, I'm the commander of Apache Company 272 Armor, 1st of Infantry. Right now, I'm just uh, actually here in Baghdad putting away some uh, some criminals that will be arrested for uh, shooting RPGs. You know, when I was growing up, I'd always see commercials like the Army commercials. And there'd be this guy wearing his green uniform, walking off the porch, and like the whole family giving him a big hug. I never thought of myself as being that kind of a person that could ever do anything like lead men in battle. Where I commanded a tank company, we defended a 15-kilometer stretch of road which connected Fallujah to Ramadi. One of the times it was just like, God, I really need you for this because I don't know how I'm going to handle this. When you go to war, there is a certain just fellowship of the brothers of arms that kind of connects people. that I was going to Fallujah. At the time, the only thing I could do was fear death. I was sitting in my barracks watching a movie about a soldier that died. I was killed in action. It showed the funeral and him and the coffin. All I could see was me, that I was that person in that coffin. And it just completely ate me up inside. And I was about ready to lose it until Captain Pleckenfall came to my room and was like, we need to talk. And I said, well, what's up, man? Tell me the deal. He said, well, sir, I'm going to Fallujah. And I don't think I'm coming back. And so I started talking about the, you know, the prodigal son. And there was just the, that tenderness of the moment. Of here I am, I'm a captain in the Army, he's a private. And we're connected like that. But you can't do that in any other type of environment other than a war. And we prayed that night. It was amazing. And he cried. That night was a changing point in my life. And in the midst of being shot at, in the midst of watching people being killed, in the midst of things I don't think I can ever bring myself to talk about, I remember one fact. Christ is in me as I am in him. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Where else do you go? Where else do you turn to? There's really no school that can really prepare you for what we had to face. We have got to trust in something greater than ourselves. You know, really, if you knew the other half of who I am, I don't know if you'd be clapping all that much. Because there's a reality, isn't there? I love this, this video because it makes me look almost like I'm like the quintessential Christian guy. That guy doesn't do a thing wrong. And the truth is, that's kind of how it happens too. That's my tank. That was a long day. You know, a tank is 10 feet tall. And, uh, and actually when you uh, step off a tank, you have to climb down. It's a huge process. But after that, the commander's hatch is on the right side. And so this is how I got off my tank. Yeah, that's about a four-inch gap there. It was, it was pretty intense. And uh, so you make mistakes on a tactical level, and then you make mistakes on a spiritual level as well sometimes. And that's kind of where we're going to kind of wrap our minds around for James chapter 4. And uh, let me just kind of give you another story of another time that it wasn't so happy times. You know, I was going out in the sector, and I was in my tank, and every time you go out in the sector, you're going to test fire. You, know, you shoot all your weapons, make sure everything works properly. And as I'm going out, 
uh, to do a routine patrol, check on my soldiers who are out patrolling. You know, we would, I mean, Europe, I had soldiers out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for an entire year. And so I'd be going out just to make sure everyone's doing the right thing and, you know, go ask some civilians some questions and kind of ask and go through that whole kind of ordeal. And on this particular day, I was going up to test fire. And lo and behold, there are some soldiers conducting like a marksmanship range. How many foreign military people do we have here? All right, so you guys can understand. It's a test fire pit. And these guys are conducting a full-on range at my test fire pit. And it's kind of irritating, one, because this is my test fire pit. And they didn't ask me for permission. And so, you know, okay, technically I didn't own it, but it's still mine, all right? And so, also, these guys, as I'm noticing, they're, they're not active-duty soldiers. These guys are reserve guys, and I'm kind of like an active-duty snob at the time. And uh, so I'm like, oh, all right, these guys don't go out in the sector as much as we do. We've been shot at by RPGs, you know, rocket-propelled grenades. We've been shot by snipers, and bombs have blown us up, and these guys don't even go out. And so there's that just sense of, like, I'm better than everybody attitude that we sometimes get. And so I still come up there, but I'm going to be cool, calm, and collect about the ordeal, right? So I wave over really calmly one of the soldiers, because I'm going to let them know in a very polite manner who I am and what they're going to do. And so I say, come here, soldier. I'm Captain Plug and Pull. As if, like, that should have been like, <gasps> you know. And you're going to take all your soldiers you're going to move them out of the way. Go ahead. So I kind of, he's a specialist, which, you know, on the rank of, in, of soldiers, like there's, you know, the low man on the totem pole, he's like right above that guy. And so he goes back, to, goes talk to his leadership, and I'm assuming that the word of the captain is going to immediately inspire fear and trembling, and they're going to move out of the way. <laughs> but they set up another iteration of shooting. And so I'm frustrated, and I'm thinking, how am I going to handle this? And then my soldiers, you got to love soldiers. Hey, sir. I don't think they respect you. They don't understand who we are. They, they're not active. They, they're just trying to mock you in your active duty. And I'm just thinking to myself, you're right. Yeah, they are. They're out purposely trying to intimidate me so that they can have the priority on my range. And so, you know, you know, how do those thoughts even get in your head? You know, I'm supposed to be this Christian guy and hear these thoughts come, but all of a sudden I start believing these thoughts. And I get off that tank as if like a swarm of bees stung me. And I am racing over there and I'm like, you, move out of the way. I have priority on this range. Out of here now. And so everyone starts scrambling and I'm just, you know, out of control. It's like a mortar round just hit. Everyone's just like getting out of the melee. And the first sergeant of that unit, the, like the, one of the leaders of that, that unit, walks over to me real calmly. Sir, all you had to do was ask. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I turn around and spit on my, my heel and I storm back. And, you know, there's that, there's that sense, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like this. You know, you, you tell somebody what to do and they do it. And you're like, yeah. And so I'm getting back on the tank. I'm just climbing up. My men are like, all right, sir, you had a way to go. You showed them. They'll respect us now. And then it kind of hit me. I just taught my soldiers how to handle conflict. You know, the best lessons in life, if you didn't know this, I'm sure you all do, are always caught, not taught. And so I just gave a great lesson on how to handle it when somebody is, you know, in kind of your way and you need to get them out and you're not in any hurry. You just stomp on them and move them out. You know, my company had fights. Guys would fist fight. Guys would steal from each other. And here we are, we're trying to fight the enemy that's on the outside. 
You ever feel like that within your own family? That, you know, hey, the enemy's not here. We're supposed to be on the same team, right? And the second, you know, you think everything's figured out at the dinner table, it's just like chaos, right? That's supposed to be a safe haven, and now that becomes crazy. And here we are, me, I'm, we're on the base, and I have just created a consternation, and now there's just kind of like an issue between me and the reserve soldiers, and I'll be honest with you, I ducked those reserve guys from that point on, because I was so embarrassed, right? I just was like, you know, I talked to them, hey, how you doing? But there's something inside me. There's like this gravitational pull inside of me, and I'm going to will the bet inside of you. It just kind of pulls me, pulls me towards this sense of pride, which kind of eats out in my life, and I see it manifested in quarrels and fights among us. We're going to take a look at what James has to say about this issue. He's, he's not happy about it. He's noticing that in his first century church, people are fighting and quarreling. At a time when uh, Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 8, this is about when most scholars think this letter was written, it's out to all the new Christians. And they're getting persecuted. So the battle is not within the family. The battle's outside. And so he's telling them the same thing. Funny how we haven't learned a lesson. Take 2,000 years, we're still dealing with the same stuff, aren't we? that human condition and battles within us in the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says. James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the, your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Pride-fueled lust is behind all of our infighting. Pride-fueled lust is behind all of our infighting. All right, check this out. You're going to see this in the, in the Word here. You know, the style that James writes, he, he's, he's a Hebrew guy and he's got some Old Testament roots in him, right? So, a very proverbial style. So, every line... He said, he'll write two lines, it means one thought. So the first thing is that quarrels and fights, they're started because you're pride. But where does that pride come from? It comes from your lusts, because you want what you don't have. You see, there's actually this, this lust progression. It starts when we're real young, especially in our culture, kind of the get mine, get yours kind of mentality. Uh, okay, let me take you back with me, right? I'm in, I'm in middle school. I'm in the back of the bus. I've just made it to the back of the bus. I'm in that little two-seater area as opposed to the three-seat one. And I'm feeling good about myself because I'm no longer in, like, third grade, right? It, it, it's over. I am now king of the boss. I have the respect and the authority. And it's just this incredible feeling. All of a sudden, I look out the back window. You know, the bus is up the back window. And I look out. And I see there's some high school kids driving their car. And I'm thinking to myself, ah. Oh, now that's where it's at. Once I get my get into high school and once I can have my own car, then I'll be satisfied. I get into high school and I, you know my parents, God love them, they're they're here somewhere. And uh, they're my mom, mom. Alright, and so, you know, but there's a sense when you're in high school, I just cannot wait until I get out of high school. Right? Because that's when when college life starts and it's gonna be you have no idea how awesome it's gonna be. It's gonna be incredible. And so you have this imagination that this place of greener pastures is always going to be there. So you graduate high school, and then you get to college, right? And then all of a sudden you actually have to do work and stuff. It's amazing. And so you're doing these papers, and you're thinking, okay, good grief, I just want to graduate. And because once I get out of here and I get to a job, 
that's when I'll be satisfied, right? That's when it's all going to come together. And then you, you graduate and you get into your job and you think, well, once I get into the job that I really want, this is just you know, a, a loner job for a while, and once I get into the job that I really want, then I'm going to be satisfied. Or once I get married, then all of my problems will be solved because I'll have someone to meet all my needs. And then when somebody, and some of us, when we get married, we're like, when I get unmarried, you know, that's finally when this thing's going to happen, right? It's just this less progression. It, it starts, you know, when we're young and it comes to, you know, throughout our lives and it just kind of grips us at the heart of who we are. And there's something battling within us. It's, it's that versus the Holy Spirit. And it's always fighting for control. And when we let those lusts fuel our pride, then that sinful part of us, that gravitational pull towards me, starts to control us and then really silly things happen like happened on that day. It, it just kills me. But the, the thing is, there's, you know, here's the thing about the Word of God. There's always hope, right? There's always hope. Because see, our God is a Father and He doesn't want us to spend what we're asking for on our pleasures. And the Greek word for pleasures is hedonia, which we get the word hedonism from. So what we're doing in a lot of our prayers, because of our lust progression, because we want more, we're like, okay, Lord, so when I get this job, that's when I'm going to be good, and so just give me the job. But he knows that that's not going to be the deal, right? Because he knows that there's going to be something more that you're going to want beyond that, so that's sometimes why our prayers feel like they're not answered, because we're asking with wrong motives, so we can get the job, get the wife, get whatever, to spend what he's given us on our pleasures, as opposed to glorifying God. Convicting, isn't it? Like, Pastor Ron, thanks for the nice passage to teach from. All right. Let's go back to the scripture, though. Let's go look at verse 4. You adulterous people! Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Good night. Idolatry is behind my lust. Idolatry is behind our lust. And, and this is kind of, when he breaks it down, I just want you to think for a second. This is James. He's the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he's writing to encourage everybody. Okay? We're writing to encourage everyone in their faith because they're being persecuted. And in the first couple of chapters, he's like, Dear brothers, those whom I love and adore. And now in chapter 4, he's like, You adulterous people. So, okay, think of Pastor Ron. He has just a little heart-to-heart. You know, I just want to let you know you're an adulterer. And we got some issues. And this is exactly what he's laying out. And this, this is kind of intimidating. He said, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And he says it again. Don't you know that when you're a friend of the world, you're actively battling against God? The reason why he uses adulterous people is because there's this kind of this imagery of going back to the days of you know, Israel and the covenant relationship with God. And God best showed this, I think, when he, had, he sent Hosea the prophet and he told him, go marry a prostitute. Because that's how I feel whenever your people go and worship other gods. And so he, Hosea marries a prostitute and gets his heart broken again and again and again and again and again. As this woman wrecks her life with other men over and over again. God says, that's how I feel when I watch you destroy your lives, chasing after your own gods. And I'm not saying, you know, I don't think we have any Baal altars around, you know. I don't think anyone's, you know taking some calves and they're going to you know that's not happening right here what's our God our God is money thank you our God is money our God is stuff our God is prestige and power 
and influence, I've got to get mine. And when that becomes more of your focus than your Heavenly Father, then you are actively battling against God. So you've drawn the line. God's over here and saying, I'm against you. And that's what happens when we let idolatry rule us and it flames our lust. Our lust just <laughs> invigorates our pride and that's what causes the dinner table to be a mess. And that's what causes getting in the car after this to be very challenging. Right? And, but thankfully, you know, it's not just all like, all right, bad news for everybody. All right, we got some good news. We're going we're gonna to continue on here. Verse 5. Or do you think... Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely, but He gives us more grace. I love that part, because I need some grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. He gives, gives grace to the humble. So, in other words, God is behind the humble, but He's against the proud. Alright, so... Remember, he's our, he's our Heavenly Father. And so He has caused Himself to dwell in us. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Once you've come to faith in Christ, He causes Himself to live inside of you. And so you are a changed, brand new person, and it is an exciting place to live, right? And whenever you give yourself to anything else other than Him, you satisfy your lust with that Spirit that's caused in, that's His, and it's now satisfying your lusts, desires and your pleasures and you're going after hedonism with that spirit it causes him to feel like once again there I am going again that Hosea to Gomer relationship you are my wife and I am constantly trying to draw you back to me and it causes it to envy intensely inside him and this is what it says this gets kind of an iffy piece God opposes the proud and the, the word opposes is it's a military word which means to actively battle against God, when we are proud, when we are letting ourselves kind of become idolaters, He's actively battling against us. He's not on our team. But He's a Father. And I love that. And so the way that He'll battle against us, sometimes with that Holy Spirit nudge, it just kind of speaks to the corner of your heart. And other times, He has to rip your hand off stuff and break off fingers, right? I mean, how many, how many times have we, am I alone in this? Like, I've had, like, I'm sure I don't surprise that any limbs left, all right? God's kind of broken so many things off. You know, the thing is with God, He also always gives us, since He's a dad, kind of gives you an opportunity to kind of learn the same lesson over again by presenting with the same situation. It's kind of funny how He does that. So there I am in Iraq, and, you know, I'm born sector, it's a normal day, and all of a sudden the radio starts sparking up. We have contact, we have contact, this is Blue 4, we need to get quick reaction force out here now. Roger that. I, I run over, I grab my M4 carbon rifle, my 9mm pistol. Hey, get everybody, get the QRF, quick reaction force, get the medics ready, get them out, let's go. So I'm getting all my gear on getting it together, get my, uh, my magazine, put it in my rifle, and I'm sprinting out the door. And just as I'm about to leave, what's the situation report? Sir, stand down. They lost him. They can't find him. The, the enemy got away. And this happens a lot with guerrilla warfare. It just does. I'm like, all right, fine. Let's go ahead and stand down. I go up and I say, hey, everyone, standing down, standing down. And I go to uh, Sergeant Oates. And he, it was his first day working for me. And uh, he, you know, sometimes it's a challenge when you're kind of trying to figure out how to do things on the first day, and he's like, Sir, where are my guys at? Now, here's an opportunity for me. 
I have two choices. I can A, use this time as a time to coach, mentor, and develop a soldier as he's learning the new processes of being my gunner, which just means he's in charge of the quick reaction force, and I'm high maintenance. So that's a challenge in and of itself. And so I could do that, or I can make him real, feel really small for bringing a problem to me. Which did I choose? What is wrong with you? Get up here now! And so he comes up, and I'm like, don't you ever ask me where your soldiers are again. You understand? That's your job. I'm the commander of this company. You're a soldier. That's your job. Don't you ever ask me that again. But sir, this conversation's over. I spin on my heel, and I walk back into my command post. And of course, everyone's staring at the ground. Everyone's walking on eggshells. Nobody kind of moves because they just learned another lesson for me. And I'd say, cruising to my, my office, here's what's the lesson I taught. You're not allowed to bring any problems to the commander. That's a great lesson, isn't it? Another way to teach by have the lesson caught, not taught. Do you ever have this issue at home? You kind of stormed, you know, stomped on somebody, and now they're never going to bring anything up to you again. So you have no idea what's really going on. The hard thing is I, I mentor uh, some kids, and they're uh, in high school. And it's crazy. They'll never tell their parents about what their issues are, but they'll tell me. And I wonder why that is. There's a, sometimes there's a tendency in us by the way that we have lessons caught and not taught. There's not a comfortability where I can bring you my problems and my issues and my heartbreak and my heartache because you really don't want to hear it. You just want to make me feel real small. So as I go into my office, I sit down and <clears throat> all of a sudden, you know, that Holy Spirit kind of thing, still small voice, it's like, do you feel big? Does it make you feel good? Yes, you have just overwhelmed them with the love of God. Wow, you are such a light in the darkness. When I took command, honestly, I stood in front of all my men, and I was like, man, I'm a Christian soldier. I'm going to lead this unit as a follower of Christ. And so here I am, really shining in the dark. I mean, it was just, I felt so small. So I had a decision to make. I made my way down to Sergeant notes room. I said, Sergeant Notes, I need to apologize. Um, will you forgive me? And the thing about when you say, will you forgive me, you're giving them like the ability to forgive you. It's kind of like you humble yourself before them and you let them do the lifting you up part. And so, will you forgive me? And he's like, you know what, sir, of course I'll forgive you. I know you're a man of God and I know His Spirit will work on you. And I'm like, dang it! You know, there's that other part where I'm like, thank God I listened, you know, because who knows what people have been saying after that. And so here I'm like, all right, so I got several accountability partners. Like, you have a whole company of accountability partners, right? Because <laughs> that's what God does. He poses the proud. but gives grace to the humble. All right, let's, let's get back to the Scripture here. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Final point here. Be humble. Be humble. Look, if you just leave here and you don't remember anything else, be humble. That's it. You will always win. And here's why. He lays out, there's, there's two, two ways to be humble. First thing is you're going to obey God. Right? You're going to submit yourselves then to God. And here's your thought process comes to this. If, if I really just submitted to God and everything, then my whole house would be a wreck. My work 
I mean, there's some stuff that goes on that I can't really obey God in that, and I might lose my job over. And God just says, this is what's so cool about God, obey God and leave the consequences up to Him. Because here's the thing. Remember in Matthew, Jesus says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And He's like, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the second slide is to love your neighbors yourself. But it's really hard to show your worship to an invisible God because it's not like, hey, let me go and do something for you. Because the only way you can do that is through people. And so when you are obeying God by the way you treat people, and that's by treating the people you love the most the best. But give them the best of your time. And that's how you obey God. And the second is this. He says, come near to God and He'll come near to you. That's a prayer. I love that. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You come near to God, He's coming close to you. He's coming running. We need that, right? And here's what happens when you do that. The natural progression when you spend time with God, because I would go every morning to the chapel because I started to realize that I'm really cranky and I am actually not the best, most holy person to be around when I don't spend time with my Heavenly Father. When I don't spend time with my Heavenly Father, I am a mess. And so I go spend every morning in the chapel for about two hours. Well, make that one hour. Felt like two hours. In fact, sometimes I'd, I'd set my clock and I'd be like, all right, come on. All right, I don't really feel like being here, Lord, but I'm going to do it for you because I will know that's the only way that we're going to connect. And here's what happens when you do that. You know that whole part of like grieve, mourn, and wail? What happens when you draw close to God and you start to see your own sinfulness, right? When you really start to get real with your Heavenly Father? It's like, just like when you get married, you never realize how sinful you were until another person's seeing your stuff all the time. And so here you are with God and you're seeing your stuff all the time. And it's very convicting. And that double-mindedness that where you're controlled by your flesh starts to erode and you're controlled by the Spirit. And that, this humility, produces that, that joy to, more, or the, the laughter to mourning. Remember when I was coming out of the, I just flamed a soldier and I was coming back to my room. I was, there was that good rush of feeling, right? The adrenaline was kicking. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, I felt like the dirt underneath your fingernails. Because that's how low the reality is, right? But this good news is this. When we do this, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, He lifts us up. You know, that video we saw, that was with Cavazos. That was a day before the battle of Fallujah. And he'd come to ask me to pray with him because you know what? He'd been living his life in total rebellion to God. In every way, from purity aspect to like alcohol, drugs, you name it. It was in every way. And he was, he had, was convinced that even though he had become a Christian when he was 16, the way he had lived his life was he was on a direct path to hell. And so that's when he was coming to me. He's like, i got nothing to offer God anymore. I need some grace. We all need some grace. And so that night he understood that Christ was in him, that indwelling. As he is in Christ, and nothing can separate him from the love of God. So when he went to the battle the next day, I'm telling you, all of Iraq just seemed to explode. And we were, and my own tank exploded underneath me. It was crazy. Smoke and fire just went past my face as that acrid taste of gunpowder got stuck in the back of my throat during that battle. And I'd lose two more men. One died in a rollover. And another died in a, in a car bomb. Just hit him straight on. Finally, we take that city. And uh, the whole platoon lived. It was an incredible thing. And that platoon comes back, and I find Kavasa, and I go, tell me what happened. He's like, well, sir, I don't know if I'll be able to bring myself to talk about it, but I'll never forget this one moment. We're shooting at them, they're shooting back at us, and all of a sudden the tank aborted, which means it broke down. 
He said, my tank man looked down at me and said, you, get out of the tank and check the oil. Which in the tank is good. Out of the tank is exposed. But he gets out of the tank. He goes on the back deck. He pulls off this really heavy engine plate. He's working on this engine. It's a 1,600 horsepower turbine engine. All right? It's not like your mom's Buick. Okay? He's going to town on this thing. And there's a certain sound that a bullet makes that it goes past your face. Kind of like a zip and a crack. So the bullets are skipping the dirt next to him. He's working on the engine. For about 25 minutes, he's exposed. He puts the engine plate back on. He dies back in the turret, as we told him. So there's never time that I felt closer to my Heavenly Father than when I was outside that tank. I knew my God was with me. Right now, we're in the tank. And the enemy, they're sitting right outside those doors. And he's going to be aiming for you. He's going to be shooting for you. Isn't he? Because you know when you, once you get back in that car, the reality's going to set in again. Once you come to the dinner table, the reality's going to set in again. And you have a choice to make. Once you come home, once you go to work, the choice is going to be yours. Are you going to pray and obey? Or are you going to be controlled by that just sinful part of you that gravitates towards me? My challenge, my... Just if I could just have this church, Rock Point as a whole, be people who manifest the light of Christ in their lives so people go, there's something really different about that family and the way they treat each other. There's something about, different about that, that person at work because he just treats people with love and he is a servant to some people. And there is a power inside him that I want to know because you know what? We are here to be ambassadors of Christ. And there's some relationships, relationships that are broken and we are supposed to be ambassadors of reconciliation. And so let's act like we've got this thing living inside of us, this Holy Spirit. And as we go out and as we leave this parking lot, let's not think the first thing, I'm going to flip that guy off so I can get out of here faster and get to where I'm thinking about going to eat, right? We're thinking, how can I serve? Let that be your heartbeat. Let it be your prayer. Because this Rock Point Church is going to be a thing of power that's going to draw people to it because of the light that's within.